Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. And let's, let's start reading together in verse 13. This is a really popular um, metaphor that Jesus uses here. Uh, if, if you've been coming to church, you've probably heard this before. If you haven't, it's, it's, it's all right. Maybe you're here exploring faith, so, so, so pumped that you're here today. So, Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Say salt. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Saltiness, he doesn't mean, oh, be salty. <laughs> okay, doesn't mean be that person. He's talking about the flavor of your life. If it loses its taste, how can it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus switches the metaphor on us right here, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all. Say all. That's important. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, say my light, Shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love this. Um, I love this, this passage of scripture because it's speaking about your identity in God. Notice it doesn't talk about your education, your past, your mistakes, your insecurities. It doesn't talk about your experiences, your pain, potential abuse, your shortcomings. Notice he doesn't talk about any of that. This is not a list of qualifications here to be in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is, when you come into a relationship with me, this is who you are. Not this is what you have to do, but when you come close to the light... You, you begin to tr- be transformed into what you're coming near to. And John chapter 1 tells us, Jesus is that light. But Jesus is also picking up on a theme that's all through Scripture. And I'm going to show that for you. This, this, is, uh, this is the theme of how God impacts a few for the sake of many. God impacts a few... For the sake of many. Now, I brought I brought um, a little, uh, some really like posh salt here. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously, here's some salt, but, you know, right? Salt, okay. Now, nobody goes to a restaurant and just orders a pile of salt. At least if you do, please go talk to your GP. It's not going to end well, okay? So, no, nobody does that. Uh, isn't it wild that, that Jesus didn't say, you're the state of the world? You are the bird of the world. You're the curry of the world. No, he didn't say. Wait, wait, he said you're the you're the salt. Isn't that wild? Why would he use a metaphor of something that literally I just like sprinkle on the top of? Because God is really into this idea of transforming a few for the sake of the many. There's something about your life and the flavor of your existence in God that is not just the benefit of other people who know Christian songs and Christian vocabulary words and come to church on Sunday, but it's meant to enhance the flavor of the culture around you. This is the principle that we've got to get deep in us, and this is is what I'm going to build the rest of this message on. God is seeking a few who will live for the sake of the whole. 
God seeking a few who will live for the sake of the whole. We see this all through Scripture. We see this with Israel and the priesthood. In Israel's history, there was a high priest. The high priest was the only person who could come into God's presence once a year. Not every week, once a year. The high priest was for the sake of the whole priesthood. The priesthood was for the sake of the Levites. The priesthood was in a tribe. The Levites were for the sake of the Israelites, the whole nation. The Israelites were for the sake of the Messiah, God's chosen person. But the Messiah was for the sake of the nations. So God's always looking for a few to impact the many. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus the Messiah was for the sake of the disciples. That's you and me. It was the people who followed him, but it's you and me as well. The disciples were for the sake of the church. The church was for the sake of the Gentiles. The Gentiles were for the sake of the Israelites. That's what Romans tells us. The Israelites and the Gentiles were for the sake of the whole world. Where Stacy read earlier, God's going to come and make all things new. What, what is all that? There's storylines that are happening here all throughout, all throughout history. And as believers, we've, our eyes have got to be open to the storylines that, God that God's writing. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What story are you living? Everybody's living some sort of a story. If our eyes don't see what God's up to, then we're going to misunderstand His Word. We're going to misunderstand what He's doing. And ultimately, we're going to get to the end of our life when we see all things clearly, when we stand before God. And, and, and we're going to wonder, how did I, 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 I made it a few times, but how did I miss it in these... Well, it's because my eyes weren't open to see the storyline that God was doing. My eyes weren't open to, to realize He's wanting to do something in my life that's not just about me and my benefit, but it's for the whole. This is really what church is about. Right? This isn't... If you look around, just look around, then you're just looking at piles of salt. Just all around you. Just piles of salt sitting on the seats. Well, this is not like a salt celebration ceremony. That's not what this is about. Like, let's celebrate the salt. You know, this is. You know, we, we, the reason we gather each week is to is to deepen our flavor. It's to get ourselves inside the presence of God, which the psalmist said, "Your word is like honey on my lips." What is he talking about? There's a flavor to the word. There's a flavor to the presence of God. And what does it do? It reinvigorates. The true humanity, the, 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 the humans that God created us to be. Why? Not just to continue to celebrate salt. Not just to have piles of salt all around our city. But to be then spread throughout our city to enhance the flavor of every culture and every people and every faith group and every institution and every facet of society. That this is the church gathered... But until the church scatters, we're not really, we're not really being used for what, what we were created for. This gathering only makes sense when you understand that the purpose of salt is for the sake of the whole. Maybe there's salt on the table when you go to a restaurant. But you don't just sprinkle it on your plate and be satisfied with that. You order a meal first, don't you? That's your purpose. That's my purpose. So the title of, of my message is We are cultivate cult, we are cultivating our city for the good of all people. We are cultivating our city. For the good of all people. When you break down what, what were the, the disciples ultimately doing as a response to the Great Commission, there were several things they were doing. Last week, James talked about um, waiting on God through prayer and fasting. If you're wondering, what is this prayer thing? What is this fasting thing in the Christian understanding? Uh, go back and listen to last week's message. Next week, uh, we, have a, we have a missionary and a church leader from the Philippines who's going to be speaking to us about what does it mean to serve the needy and the poor? with the things that God has given us. Because that's something else we see in Acts. What does it look like to have, a, to have lives that are turned toward uh, the poor and the needy? 
in our world. So, um, so Chrissy leads churches along with her husband and um, schools in the Philippines. I cannot wait um, to hear from her, from her next week. But today, we're going to talk about cultivating your city for the good of all people. So um, I want to talk about today two ways you can cultivate the city for the good of all people. Two ways you can cultivate the city um, for the good of all people. Um, you know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, maybe you've struggled, sometimes I have, with connecting the dots between um, this life and your everyday life. Has anybody, has anybody struggled with that before? Like what happens, I'm, I'm here worshiping, we're praying, I listen to a message, but 98% of my life is not in a church service or a church meeting. But it seems like all the really spiritual people, they become church leaders, right? They become pastors, they grab a microphone. Is that what it means to burn for God? Is that, is that what it means to, be a, to have a passionate heart that wants to see God's kingdom come to pass? Do I have to then start a church? And so this message is going to kind of crawl into that space. Now, if you feel the desire to call a church, or to plant a church, come, come speak with me. I'd love, I would love to hear what's on your heart. I believe God does call people, obviously, to, to, to lead churches. But the, the, the kingdom is far bigger than just that one activity. And so the, the, um, the first call that I want to step into of how to cultivate favor with your city is this. And I'm going to unpack this. There's not much in this statement, but you, you'll, you'll see when I get to it. Number one, work for the good of all people. Work for the good of all people. And here's how I'm going to unpack that. I'm going to start with Genesis chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. You can turn there with me if you want to. It's just a few verses, so um, I can read it. There's a lot of scripture this morning. Is that okay? Yeah. Genesis chapter number one, I'm going to read in verses 27 and 28, and then I'm going to go to chapter two and just read one verse. Genesis chapter number one, Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Say subdue. subdue. Maybe your Bible says have dominion, take dominion, or maybe it says rule over. Uh, those were all the same concept. They're all, of course, translations from the original um, Hebrew language for this text. Then skip over to chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The, these were the original mandates for humanity. Let, I'll summate it like this. Look at this. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 mandate is this. To rule and take care of the garden for the sake of the world. To rule and take care of the garden for the sake of the world. Now, I know this, this, this feels very teachy and very bible but I'm going somewhere with this. This is going to hit your life um, in a few minutes. And I just want to encourage you to, to, to hang on. Because you're going to be glad you did. But Stacy just read the end of the book during worship. She just read Revelations 21 and 22. And do you remember what was coming down from heaven in Revelation 22? Do you remember? Was it a garden? What was coming down from heaven? Shout out. What was it? Anybody remember? You guys are quiet. I'm way up here. A bride, yes. It looked like a bride, but it was actually a city. That's right. So what we're receiving from heaven is a city, but what God gave us was a garden. God put Adam and Eve in a garden not because he's into horticulture. Not because he, he really wanted people to, have, to run a plant nursery. Not because he likes pretty flowers. But because he was putting Adam and Eve in a place where they could so engage with the purpose on the inside of them that the garden would eventually become a city. It was not just for their benefit, but they were creating a place that was for the benefit of everybody who was going to reside there. Which is why the story of the Bible goes from garden to city. 
Are you tracking with me? He wants to do something in the few for the sake of the many. But here's what we can learn from the mandate. The first thing, go back, go back, go back. The first thing we can learn is we were made to rule. Say, I was made to rule. That, that word is the Hebrew word redah. And it, 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 one Hebrew scholar said it this way. It means to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. It doesn't mean to dominate. It means to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. But the second thing is, it was our job to work and to care for it. So to rule and to take care of the garden. And it's amazing, if you read in Genesis chapter 2, God starts talking about rivers and water. Have you ever noticed that? And are you reading that? And he talks about the Tigris River and the Euphrates, and you're like, why? I don't, I don't care. I've never been there. I will never go in the middle of the desert where the Tigris and the Euphrates River are. Are they even there anymore? Why is he talking about that? Because he is, this is, this is what he's doing. He's saying, Adam and Eve, I'm putting you into a place that you're meant to cultivate and work for. And I'm putting you in, I'm giving you the raw materials to do something amazing with. You tracking? This is, this is um, Tim Keller's definition of work. Rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. This is the Genesis mandate. This is the Genesis mandate. Now let me let me draw some conclusions from this for you, okay? So I know that's a lot of teaching. Now let me get on a track for where this hits your life. Right here. Let's look at this principle. We've wrongly put a divide between our spiritual life and our natural life. We have wrongly put a divide between our spiritual life and our natural life. Notice how God did not put Adam and Eve in a garden and ask them to hold perpetual worship services. <laughs> I love worship services. Right? It's uh, my, my contribution to the good of our city is to create this environment is to create opportunities for, for us as the people of God to gather here from the Word of God and then experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That, that revolves around worship. But don't get confused. That's not all that it takes to turn the garden into a city. And one of the things that we've done is we think that spiritual things are good and natural things are bad. This is not a Christian idea. We don't have time to go into history of it, but it's actually a Greek idea. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a platonic idea, the separation of, of spirit and physical, and physical bad, spirit good. This is not a Jesus idea. Do you know actually in the Hebrew language where our faith is, is based on, there is no word for spiritual. They don't, they don't have the word. Because for them, it's a holistic existence. Now I'm not saying you don't have a spirit. Of course you have a spirit. I'm saying we've wrongly divided those things, and so what it means for us is when I do spiritual things, I'm doing good. But everything natural doesn't have a place in what God's up to in the earth. And the problem with that is it compartmentalizes our life. So we have these tiny little boxes that everything fits in. And I and it, what we speak of Christian is the Jesus box is just really big. Huge. But, you know, I used to like clothes before I was into Jesus, but now I don't. That box is tiny. <laughs> and, and, and then my family box, well, you know, I have a big spiritual box, so like my family, they just get the leftovers. When I just kind of fit them in here and there. And my work, I, I definitely don't see how my work fits into it. Because I work for a construction company, and well, I don't understand how that has anything to do with the spiritual part of life. I'm a social media manager. What does that have to do with, with, the, with the spiritual? I'm a CEO. I, I don't understand how these board meetings that I'm running with, uh, with projections and budgets, and how does that, that's, it's not spiritual. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend more time at church and less time in these other categories of my life. And when we make that divide, what we're choosing to do is worship God in the garden instead of transform the garden into a city. 
you a mandate not just to worship, but to rule and to care for. I wish we had time to go into the environmental responsibility besides care for, but that's a different message. He's given us a mandate to rule and to care for. Does your spiritual life matter? Yes. I can't say it loud enough, so let's not swing the pendulum the other way because of one message. What I want you to do, we've got to be mature enough to leave with a message and, and, and a both-and idea of this. It is spiritual and natural. All at the same time. Actually, if I can see my parenting as not just a natural activity, but a spiritual activity, all of a sudden, I haven't separated God from my parenting. I've invited Him in it. If I see my budgeting for my finance company, not just as something I do on the side, well, when my God stuff is on the weekends, then what I'm doing is I'm inviting the yeah. Holy Spirit yeah. into my budgeting activity. This divide that is not did not come from Jesus or His people is causing us to miss our mandate as the people of God to partner with Him to create a world for the good of all people. Your work matters. Did you hear me? Your work matters. I love what Abraham Kuyper says. He says there's not a square inch in the whole of creation over which Christ, who is so sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. What is he getting at? He's not just talking about the physical world. He's talking about every facet of our lives. He's not looking at you to have a holy, uh, a holy life from 11 to 12.45 on a Sunday morning. And the rest, well, I guess I'll just try to get along. Look at this, Miroslav Volf, a Croatian philosopher. He teaches at Yale. Look at this. The noble products of human ingenuity will form the building materials from which after they're transfigured, he's talking about the city, the glorified world will be made. This is what he's, this is what he's getting at. What he's trying to say is there's nothing we can be a part of now if God's at the center, that won't be a part of what God does in the future. Uh, let me, let me, let, M.T. Wright is, is a little bit more accessible in his language. Let's look at this book. What you do, say what I do, in the present, I'll say the present. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, thank you, thank you for putting that in there, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. What you do here matters. And it isn't separate from your spiritual existence or your walk with God. It's one and the same. Do you know that Adam and Eve didn't just have a mandate? It just wasn't for them in Genesis 1 and 2? But the whole reason that's in there is because you and I have a mandate, and this is our mandate. This is your mandate. To rule and take care of your garden for the sake of the world. When you are creating policies and procedures, maybe you're in management, you're creating policies and procedures that lead to healthy work cultures. Do you know that's something that will be exported into eternity and imported into God's new world? When you're creating uh, fiscal structures that lead to integrity and accountability, that makes sure there moves room for, for corruption. It takes those room. You know what you're doing? You're not just helping a secular business. You are investing in God's new city that will come for all of eternity. This is your work mandate. 
This is why God has put you there. And you go, well, wait a second. I have a rubbish job. You don't understand? My job's awful. You don't know what I'm up to. I want to tell you, there are, of course, vocations that dishonor God. Those, those are not doing much for eternity, okay? If, there, if, if, it is a, if it is an industry or a job that is, that is not beneficial to society or honoring to the ways of God, then you need to go on the job line. But that's a very few, that's a, a, a very few small of us, if anybody, in this room. For the majority of us, what we do every day matters in eternity. And you know what else I want to tell you? It's not always connected to what you feel like your purpose or your calling is. Mm. I, I feel like in the West we are so obsessed with self-fulfillment that we have imported that idea into the church and instead of realizing purpose has, has more to do with advancing God's agenda than figuring out my own agenda, we, we make purpose an idol at times. To where we, 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 we can't even move. Like we don't even know what to do in life until God reveals my mystical purpose. Until I have an angel show up to me at three in the morning and like illuminate my room and say, Joe... <laughs> I was standing next to God and he said, there's 7 million people down there, but I need you to go give Joe a message. <laughs> this is what you're called to do. No. That's, that we, 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 we sometimes, because that is the song that our culture is singing, we start to think that's the song God's singing. When our identity is found in him. But I want to tell you, purpose comes alive when you get on board with God's agenda. Mm. It just starts to erupt in your heart. You don't even, sometimes you don't even know how to explain it. You're like, when did God reveal to you the Supreme? I don't really know. I just started like following him, getting in love with him, and the next thing I knew, I was leaving church. Right, Alicia? I mean, I can, I can try to explain it, but if, if, if I at any point made you believe that this was really intentional in my life journey and I like had it all mapped out, then I'd be misleading. Because I kind of stumbled into the plans of God. But all along, I'm feeling a sense of deep purpose inside of me. Why? Because I know the one I'm following. Not because I know who I am from the inside out. John the Baptist had no idea who he was. He didn't have an awareness of, of, of the mantle that was on his life. People asked him, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet Elijah? He said, no. Well, then later Jesus goes, uh, people said, well, when did Elijah come? And he goes, it was John the Baptist. He didn't realize, did he? So it's not always about being in tune with purpose. And let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Um, I'm going to take you to a kind of a challenging uh, passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3. Look at this. This is why it's challenging because it uses the word slaves. Slaves. Paul is speaking to his church and inside the church. Now, we don't have time to go into history, that the, uh, all the diversity inside the, the early church was just amazing. But there were slaves in the early church. Now, that, we, we have to get out of our mind kind of Southeast Asian slaves or a lot of the, you know, the slave trade, the African slave trade, those sorts of things in history. This was more bond servants. Mm. So in the Roman Empire, it was people who had debts to pay and they became household workers. Now, I'm not saying that's good life. I'm not I'm saying that's a great thing. I'm just saying it was different than generally in 2022 what we get in our mind. Okay? And now Paul's speaking to those people. In the Roman, Roman, the Roman culture was a very hierarchical culture. Okay, everybody had a class, everybody had an identity, and, and different people had different statuses because of that. And as you can imagine, people who were bond servants who had great debts and were then living basically their, their existence to pay those debts off were at the bottom of the hierarchy. Paul's speaking to them. Look what he says to them. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it, not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart. And reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Whatever you do, inside my purpose, yes. Whatever you do, outside my purpose, yes. Whatever you do. Stuff I like to do, yes. Whatever you do. Stuff I hate to do, yes. Whatever you do, work at it 
your heart. I know that's challenging to you. It's challenging to me. There's things maybe I'll work out with all of my hands. But my heart... <laughs> Paul doesn't go hands. He goes heart. Whatever you do, work out with your heart. Ah, go back one, go back one, go back one. I'm working for the Lord. Not for human masters. Why? How can you work that way? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Inside of purpose, outside of purpose. Inside the stuff I love, inside the stuff I hate. Inside mundane and medial and I don't know why I'm doing this and the pay is awful and my manager is a jerk. And I'm in the, the, the favorite job you've ever had. And the amazing benefits and pay. Inside of it and outside of it. When you work as unto God, you are not just receiving a paycheck. But there is an eternal inheritance saved for you as a reward. You're turning gardens into cities. This is the principle I want you to know. To work for the good of all people is a call to see your work as God's work. Did you hear me? To work for the good of all people, it is a call to see your work as God. And you are building something that will never pass. Can I give you a promise from God? Here's a promise for you. Before I move on to the next point. Here's a promise. All work, say all. All, all work that represents God's rule and care will last into eternity. All work that represents God's rule and care will last into eternity. I don't know how. What's it going to look like? I don't really know. What's the new heaven and earth going to look like? I don't really know. I'm not sure. I don't know how God's going to transition all of that. All I know is, that's what this tells us. That's what I know. There's things that this is very clear about, and then there's things that this points to. This is a pointer. Pointing to the future. To go, we can live in today confident about eternity because this is pointing to my eternity. And one of the things it points to is if, if you do anything, 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 and it's, a, re, it's a, a, a representing, a representation of God's rule and His care, you and I are going to be chatting about that in about The first thing that we do to cultivate the city around us, cultivate favor with the city around us, to use a phrase from Acts 2, 47, excuse me, 27, is to work for the good of all people. This is the second thing. This is the second way. I wish I had time to talk about four, because I have four ways for you, but I'm going to hold it to two. Second way is this. Live for what really matters. Live for what really matters. The first way we impact the city, we become salt for the city around us. The first way is we work, we view all of our work as an expression of God's rule and His care. And we realize it's for the good of all people. The second way is we shift our lives and we build them around what really matters. We build them around what really matters. I love how the New Living Translation, how it words Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. Look at this. For I want you to know, I want you to understand what really matters. Go back a few slides for me. I want you to understand what really matters. One more. 
Keep going back. Keep going back. Give our give our slides person a round of applause, please. They're working hard. Well, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. I love this verse. There's way too much in this for me to unpack. But can I just give you a snippet? This is not in my notes. Can I? Can I? Can I? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you want it. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. All right. I'm doing it. Paul connects our capacity for purity and blameless living to a proper priority list. This is, what he's, this is what he's getting at here. You, when you start to live for what really matters, your battle with personal purity and your battle with, with living on the path that you know is best for your life, it almost is a byproduct. Because when you recognize the most important things in life, then you realize, here's what's at stake if I don't live this way. Let me give you an illustration. Um, imagine next week. This is a this is a terrible story. This is a, a bad thing to imagine, but just go here with me. Imagine next week you get a terrible health diagnosis. You get you get a cancer diagnosis from your last from from your last uh, appointment at your GP, and they just overlooked the test. Um, the paperwork got confused. You get a letter in the mail from the NHS saying, "We regret to inform you that we have found." Um, cancer in your body. You're, of course, obviously devastated. But you go on to read that it is actually a treatable type of cancer. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to require a radical nutritional change in your life. You're going to you have to completely change the way you eat. You're going to have to avoid certain foods that are inflammatory or you know, cancer-producing, all those sorts of things. And they, then they tell you the research, they show you the research that talks about how Here's the, the chances of remission for this type of cancer if you, if you do this radical nutrition change. I can tell you it doesn't matter if you like broccoli or not. It doesn't matter if you've ever eaten a salad in your life. Your diet's about to change. Why? Because your imagination was impacted by what really matters. So you can either focus on a diet or you can focus on what really matters. And when you see, this is what Paul's getting at in Philippians, when you see what really matters, a pure and a blameless life will be the byproduct. I love, because Paul simplifies things for us. Let me give, you, let me give this to you simply. Look at Jesus as long and hard as you possibly can, and everything else is going to find its place. You can search for your purpose, but I'm telling you, your purpose is found in him. You can search for purity and right living, but I'm telling you, purity and right living is found in him. The longer and the more accurate you look at him and see him, you will be transformed. That's where pure and blameless living comes from. That is what really matters. But what, aren't we talking about the Great Commission here, Joe? Yes, we are. So this isn't just about you and me. Because it's, a, it's about impacting the city we live for the good of all. So when you find what really matters, you don't just live pure and blameless, but look at this next principle. When you live for what really matters, you become a beacon, a lighthouse of sorts in the chaos and confusion of the world around you. And here's the good news. This next slide, you don't even have to advertise it. Your light is the advertisement. Did you hear me? When you find what really matters, your life starts to shift and you just look like a different creature to the people around you. They're like, why are you, li why are you living? I mean, what is that? You're not advertising. Like, look at my new priority list. It's not like every week on Instagram, it's a new priority list. It's not like that. It's just there's something about the flavor of your life that is unique, it's different, and it is a beacon and a lighthouse to the world around you. What God is doing in the few is for the sake of the many, and what he's doing in your heart is for the sake of the people in your world. And remember, we're, we're not the source of the light, right? We're just a reflection of the light. 
That's what we are. Which means our proximity to God matters. Because our proximity to God has to do with our capacity for reflection. You hearing me? And your nearness to God, that proximity, then it, 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 it then increases the light that you're reflecting. And I, I want to show you this in Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. For what we proclaim, what we proclaim, I love that he uses the word proclaim instead of preach. Because if he said preach, you go, well, that's not me. I'm not a preacher. But he's saying proclaim because your life can proclaim. Your life is proclaiming. It's saying something. What's it saying? It's shouting something. I mean, you are, you, there is some sort of light emanating from your life. What is it? What's it proclaiming? This is what we proclaim is what Paul's saying. It's not ourselves. I'm not proclaiming me. But Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants. This is what Paul's saying. God wants to do something in the few for the sake of the many. Do you know our role in the life and the good of our city? It's that we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and we serve the people in our world. Yes, the people in your street. Yes, the person who always parks in front of your house when they could park in front of their house instead. Yeah, that person. And they have three cars. That person. You always have to go around the block four times. That, that person. The person, at, the person at your office who when they get done drinking out of the water cooler, they just leave their cup crumpled up right there next to the water cooler instead of put it in the bin. That person. Those people. Um, we proclaim, it's not ourselves, it's Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in your heart, my heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, just in case you're wondering how Paul views you and me, just a piece of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You know what I love about this? There's nobody in here who's disqualified from this. It doesn't matter if you have a theology degree. It doesn't matter if you ever cracked the, the binding on your Bible open. You need to do that, I promise. It's going to change you. That's not the qualification. The qualification is that you're in proximity to Jesus, and that proximity allows you to then reflect his nature on the world around you. That is where your light comes from. Can I just make it simple? I need simple things. Here's, here's, this is the way the process works. God's light, your reflection, others praise to God. Rinse, repeat. God's light, your reflection, other people give praise to God. And it keeps going like that. What is every day? What are you doing? You're getting in God's presence so you can get in right proximity to the light of the world. And then, you sh- then, then just like the moon all night long, you're just orbiting. You're just orbiting in your office. You're just orbiting. That's all you're doing, just reflecting the light. That's what you do all day long in your office. Just reflect. You're just reflecting. Here you're going. And what, what are, you're speaking of a different world. There's a scent. There's something about it. There's something about it that's different to the people around you. This is the light cycle. God's light, your reflection, others praise. God's light, your reflection, others praise. This happened, I wish I could go into some of the history of this, but I just want to give you a snippet of some of the history of the early church. A historical reason for the spread of Christianity is the impact Christian moral example had on the pagan world. This is a fun study. We'll have to do this someday together, Ram Church. Even pagan critics, quote, had to acknowledge that Christians were characterized in great part by their sobriety, their gentleness, their care for the poor. And this constituted the chief appeal of the gospel that was preached. What are they doing? They're just flavoring just flavoring. That's what they're doing. And what are they doing? They're appealing to the world around them. Justin Martyr wrote that Christians took up collections when they gathered for the orphans and widows and all who are in need. Tertullian conveys that it's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. Salt light. But this call does have practical implications for your and my life. 
And before we end, I just want to, to show you this. To live for what really matters is a call to simplify our lives. It's a call to simplify our lives. I know the promise um, in the advertising campaigns all around our lives, walking down Market Street, uh, watching YouTube, I mean, whatever, all these. It, it tells us we need more to find what really matters, to feel like we matter, to have purpose, to feel a sense of belonging in the world. But actually, the, 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 the Jesus way is a different way. And the Jesus way is about simplifying. And God makes it quite simple for us. And my first question to you in regards to simplifying your life is this. Can you identify what you're living for? Everybody's living for something. If you've never thought about it, then I want you to think about it. Because your life is too valuable not to think about that. Your life matters too much to, to not be thinking about what story you're living, right? D don't you agree? We, we can't, we, we don't have another one. Like this isn't like the test run. It's not like you get, you're like, oh, can I, can I get a do-over? It's not, it's, not like, it's not like that. Can you identify what you're living for? Because all of us are living for something. And then I want to help you um, because the next step after that is can you narrow it down to one thing? Can you narrow it to one thing? Because life needs radical focus. Can you trace your activity, behaviors, decisions, spending, lifestyle, back to that one thing? If you were just to put it on a billboard and you were to be satisfied with what's on that billboard, what would it say? What, what is your life about? What, is, what are you doing in life? And then when you analyze your, your, your lifestyle, your, your spending, your conversation, your decisions, your career choices, do, do they point to that one thing? Is there congruence? If not, it's time to tweak. That's a beautiful tweaking. It's a brutal, it's a brutal look, but it's a beautiful tweaking. And I want to close with this, this passage of Scripture. I know we've read a lot of Scripture today. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. And the band, you guys can go ahead and come up. Philippians 3. Just stay focused with me here for the last, last few minutes of this, can you? I know there's movement around and stuff. Just help me stay focused. Because it's, it's important. It's important for you and I to, to hear this. Philippians chapter number 3, verses 12 through 16. This is going to be really neat. Are you okay? Are you with me? Yes. Is this helping you? Yes. Three people. That's good. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here for you three. This is Paul. Paul speaking. Paul's incredibly educated. Um, he he um, was incredibly well known in his in his um, circles, and then he had a radical radical conversion where he left everything. Um, and he, he, here's what he's saying. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing. I do. Say one thing. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take the same view of things, such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. 
He's giving you room for process. He's giving you and me room for process, for progress. If, if there's some part of you that's not quite there yet, it's okay. God's going to help you. That's what Paul's saying. But this should be your one thing. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul's identifying your enemies here, Ramp Church. But our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. This.